It's your inside pass to everything Saints football. We'll take you to the places most fans never go. To practice, to the sideline, to the locker room. Following every twist, Hakeem dropped the ball! Turn, picks a flow! And touchdown! Hell is frozen over! Of the 2022 season. It is going to be covered by the Saints for a touchdown! Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. Welcome in to Inside Black and Gold. It's week four. We still got back injuries. We still got quarterback questions. We still haven't seen Jameis Winston out at practice, but maybe tomorrow, you know? So we'll find out. I'm Jeff Nowak, WWL Digital Sports Producer. And finally, finally, we get the return of Mr. Steve Geller. I, you've, you've heard enough from me over the last three episodes. But we got in touch with Steve. It's laid out in London. He's staying up. Steve, how's it going? Is is London everything it's cracked up to be? Yeah, we've been having a great time. A little foggy, rainy in the mornings, typically, which is you know what you think of with London. But uh, the practice sessions might be a little chilly. We've gotten in like the 52, 53 degrees while we're out there in the morning. But it's been it's been quite an interesting scene. We got a little bit of a a hike to get there from the ho- the media hotel to the practice facility is about an hour drive. And sometimes you hit traffic, which can make things a little more complicated. And boy, oh boy, I'm a New Jersey boy, been to New York City plenty of times, but the traffic and the drivers here, I feel are a hundred times more aggressive and crazy. There's, I can't even look out the window sometimes going to practice now in the city, just because I think we're going to like scrape up against another car or run over a pedestrian or bike rider. It's definitely interesting. Being on the other side of the street as well doesn't make it any easier. But with all things Saints, it's been pretty wild scene out here with the fact that, like you mentioned, quarterback one, Jameis Winston, has not been on the field. And then suddenly, bum, bum, bum. Wait a minute, who's that guy? Not in a red jersey. He's in his white jersey. Number seven, Taysom Hill now also running with the quarterbacks, which was... Apparently, according to Dennis Allen, always the plan. Okay, before we get into this, I want to set up the second half of this episode. We're going to get into, obviously, Michael Thomas, Jameis Winston, all that, all the health availability stuff. What have we seen from Andy Dalton, Taysom Hill? And then we're going to bring in a special guest from our sister pod, if you will, the Inside Purple and Gold podcast, because those are the Vikings colors, if you didn't know that. And we're going to have Dane Mizutani, He's the co-host of the Inside Purple and Gold podcast. He's also covers the Vikings for the St. Paul Pioneer Press. Going to be fun. Stick around for that. But first, it's it's, it's getting there every 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 day. I'm, my plan is to is to get better every every single day. It's getting there. That's Jameis the other day. I will say, Jameis was asked directly, "Will you be out there for practice on Thursday?" He said, to paraphrase, "Yes." <laughs> yeah, that's no my plan, right? No gray area. He's no, no. He said, "No, his no." Plan my plan start. was, yeah, the plan he was to start right definitively that he would be out there on Thursday. But he also said definitively that it wasn't his choice not to be out there on Wednesday. And I think that's the key thing here because I don't think it was his choice to not be out there on Thursday either. So I don't blame him when it's when you're when he's you know we hear we expect to see him out there and he's not out there. But I do blame Dennis Allen. Because Dennis also made it sound pretty, pretty confident that he would be out there on Thursday, and he wasn't. 
And Dennis didn't speak to the media on Thursday, so threw offensive coordinator Pete Carmichael Jr. to the Wolves today. Right, and that's what that's what I was about to say. It's like, and and it's made worse by the fact that Dennis doesn't talk on Thursdays because it's coordinator day, so he doesn't go out there and answer for why Jameis wasn't out there. And I feel bad for Pete because Pete's, you know, this is a guy who doesn't have to talk that much, and all of a sudden it's just like, uh, here's what, and here's what, uh, here's what Pete had to say. I think that uh, they're just making what was the best decision for him today, and then obviously, um, you know, there was a plan last week, kind of where he was going to be uh, limited throughout the week, and so we'll just see uh, where we are at tomorrow. But it was just uh, part of the plan as the day as the uh, day unfolded. As the day unfolded, meaning it wasn't necessarily the plan all week long. So like yeah, I think it, I think the plan was just kind of um, see where he was at day to day, and then. Um, See if we can get him out there, and, we'll, and so hopefully, uh, you know, that happens tomorrow. Is there, yeah, I mean, is there a turning point at some point where you, you know you decide who you need to go forward with? Yeah, I think that I think that uh, there's a plan in place. You know, uh, obviously, uh, the head coach and trainers have a plan in place, but that you know decision will be made, and, and when it is, uh, you know, I'll let Dennis make those. You can uh, hear the squirming. The thing is, you know, he's in, in a no-win situation. That's the plan, and the head coach knows the plan, and yeah. He's in a no-win situation there. And and thing is, you know, as a media member, all you can hope for is when you ask a question, you get an answer that you're going to report and is not going to make you look like you don't know what you're talking about. That's the problem when you ask someone directly a question about, is Jameis going to be out there? And they say, yes. And then he's not. And then it's like, well, I look bad. And I say I as, you know, the royal we, like I'm yes. not there, but like everyone's reporting this and all of a sudden he's not there. And so the media core looks like they got it, made a mistake. I'm like, no, no, this is what the coach said. But, you know, so the other thing that Pete Carmichael said there that I think is important is the plan is still not that much different than it had been the last few weeks. We had James Jameis at practice when he was in New Orleans throwing on Wednesdays. Right. He was off. He was essentially off on Wednesdays. He was right. there, but he was limited and he didn't really do much. And then Thursday, he got more involved. And I think Friday is when you really ramped it up. And then obviously they have the walkthrough on Saturday then the game on Sunday. So I think that, you know, based on what Pete's saying, Jameis not being out there today is not a guarantee that he's not starting on Sunday. If he gets out there for practice on Friday, then I think you can still get into that kind of ramp up. But yeah, you start to wonder, you know, are you able to get enough prep work in, in meetings, you know, and, and not like, you know, it's not the wide receiver. It's not a running back. It's the quarterback. It's the guy who has to run the offense. Can you do that with only one day of practice and do it at a, at a level that's um, optimal? And I don't know if you can. Yeah, that that's a, a great question right there. And to me too, it's like for if, if it is in fact, you know, Jameis Winston's not going to be ready to go on Sunday. When does Andy Dalton need to know that he's that guy that, you know, you're turning to? I know he's he's working with the ones uh, in Wednesday and Thursday so far in London, Taysom Hill running with the, the number two group. But at some point, I feel like, and maybe that is tomorrow, they go, they tap him on the shoulder and say, hey, Andy, we're, we're going with you. But he, he's got to know at some point that he's the guy, right? He can't say Sunday morning. Guess what, Andy? You're you're getting in there. I mean, I think you can though, because that's kind of Andy's job, right? Is to be available when you need him. Ideally, no. Ideally, he would know in advance, and I think he would know a lot earlier than anyone else. You know, at least in the sense of you're not going to give publicly any indicator 
because yeah. you don't want the Vikings to be able to prepare for either. You know, and I think that's a that's a game in this of like, even if they've already made the decision that Andy Dalton is starting, we're not going to hear that. They're not going to say that. You want the Vikings to have to do as much prep work as possible because that's a that's an advantage the Saints have. When you're dealing with a quarterback injury, one of the only advantages that gives you is uh, illusion, is misdirection, is mystery, where the the other team can't just say, okay, this is this is what we're prepping for, right? You know, if one if the book on Jameis, which I think it is, is we're gonna send zero blitzes at him because he doesn't react to it well and he doesn't make the checks, that that's probably not gonna be true with Andy Dalton, right? You're he, Andy might not be able to make the throws that Jameis can make, especially downfield. So he's gonna he's not gonna be able to hurt you in that way. But that's gonna be, you know, whether the Saints are gonna say their our offense isn't gonna change, but it's gonna have to because Andy Dalton and Jameis Winston do not operate the same way. Um, and what if it, what how about this? What if it's a total smoke screen? And QB number three ends up becoming QB number one. The, the reason I'm going to say no, <laughs> and, and I, I thought about that, but if that was the case, you would have Taysom in a red jersey. Yeah, that's a good point. Like you would. I mean, if Although, you were. Which, if, what's wild, he, he's still limited with a rib injury as well. Yeah, right. Exactly. So if, if you were actually doing that, you would have him in a red jersey. And I, so I think, you know, I, I don't even know. I wouldn't be surprised if you elevate Jake Luton for the game, right? I don't even know if Jay, if Taysom is going to be the back. I feel like if Winston is out, you have to elevate Jake. Probably, yeah. I mean, we don't even know if Jay, if Taysom's healthy enough to play. Um, so, like, yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't know if, you know, we you can kind of draw a line from Taysom. I think to some extent, you just need to have two quarterbacks to be able to throw drills. So I don't know how much of this is Taysom actually getting in work to be the backup. As it is just like, yeah, I mean, we we are going to be in situations where we want him to throw or have the option to throw to keep the defense honest. So he needs to at least throw occasionally. He needs to remember how to do it. I thought what was interesting, too, today, it was kind of amusing. Uh, we had uh, tight end Adam Troutman came to the podium. Taysom comes out of the workout area and smiles at him and goes, tight ends are soft. And I was like, wait a minute, this is coming from the guy that's been banged up all, you know, <laughs> off season basically and is still nursing a rib injury right now so uh Taysom obviously seems in great spirits and uh but uh, yeah that, that question about how healthy he can be heading into this game is huge yeah and you know you want to talk about someone who might be fine with seeing Andy Dalton out there might be the guy who's got one target through three weeks amen and right here's what Andy here's what Adam had to say about the quarterbacks when he was asked today yeah whole quarterback room we're very confident um if that's the case um, then, you know, we have a lot of confidence in him. He's a guy who's done it for a very long time and has done it at a very, very high level. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we're gonna, we have all the confidence in the world in him uh, and Taysom and, you know, everyone else. So, uh, yeah. Whoever's that quarterback, we're confident. And, and it is interesting for Troutman. And I do think to some extent, Jameis does not look to his tight ends. We, you know, it could because... I was wondering earlier in the season last year why you didn't involve the tight ends. And Adam Troutman was more involved once Trevor Simeon got in there and when Taysom got in there because they throw to tight ends more often. Jameis just doesn't target his tight ends enough. Um, and well, what's Troutman, funny is, like last year, we saw Jawan Johnson involved very early on and then kind of disappeared. And then the last game against Carolina, we didn't we didn't see him at all. Jameis is a guy who likes to throw wide receivers. I, I don't blame him. The Saints have very good wide receivers. But... 
it's not a, just a trend at this point. It's it's a clear it's a clear tendency right. is that he does not target his tight ends. And so if you're defense, you see that and you ju- you adjust. You know that's why Adam Troutman is left running by himself over the middle of the field on a third down, and the ball still goes to Jarvis Landry, right? And even if that's the read, that's what happens. And so yeah, I, that's my issue with Jameis is not about the talent level. It's not about the ability. It's not about his work ethic. It is about the recognition yeah i mean i don't even know if it's that it's just like the mistakes he makes don't get fixed you see the same things over and over again now if if you if you make the same one mistake and then you see it and you and you adjust and it's not happening again that's one thing if you're constantly seeing zero pressure zero blitz schemes and you are not making a check at the line right and and this is something that i looked at today on the the long bomb to chris alave Mm-hmm. Early in that game against the Panthers, the, they were showing a zero pressure. You had a slow developing play. You had an Ohio pattern with Chris Olave going deep and Jarvis Landry coming in underneath. Jarvis was wide open. The ball went to Chris Olave, and that's fine because Chris was open because everyone was open because it was a zero blitz and they had, were man-to-man on everybody. And you had Mike Thomas running this kind of weird dig on the backside. That route should have been checked in just in case everybody came and you can't block it because the concept they had on the right side of the field was slow developing. And the only reason you got that ball out to Chris Olave was because they sent five and they, and three of the people who were showing pressure dropped out. Now they couldn't impact the play because they dropped into the middle of the field and there were no routes being run there. But if you're, you know, that's the first half you come back on the first drive of the second half, you get into the red zone. They show the same look. And they saw you did not check the first time. So this time, what do they do? They send everybody. You can't pick them up. And then by the time you're getting, you have your back on the ground, no one's even looking for the football. And so those are the things that defenses are going to adjust to. And you have to make those adjustments yourself, right? If you checked and you could still throw to Chris Olave, but you have to make the check to get that quick hitter on the backside so that the the defense knows that you at least saw what was going on and they have to be on, they they have to stay honest. If they see you're not making the check, you beat them that one time, but they're going to adjust and and you didn't adjust with them. So that's, you know, that that's the thing. Like you can see the excuse we got caught in a slow developing play only works a couple of times. Because it's also your job to get out of this low developing play before you get caught in it. And that's that's what bothers me. It is the things that you don't fix that other teams are adjusting to to make your life more difficult because because you're not fixing them. And so that's my issue with Jameis Winston. For, for, for me with Jameis, it's always it's that he seems dead set on pushing the ball down the field no matter what's going on. I'm gonna I'm gonna air it out. And it's still that whole Buccaneers mentality of the risk it no biscuit are what you said well, with um you know the previous coach over there and it, it hasn't it hasn't obviously worked uh, I know that when P. Carmichael Jr. spoke today he put all the blame on himself for the offense having these slow starts and not being able to get into a rhythm but the mentality of Jameis along with his injury to me are the the huge factors in the the struggles for the offense right now I'll just start and say I got to do a better job. I know, um, you know, last week we felt we had a couple of good drives that stalled out with some penalties. And, and again, we're turning the ball over too much. 
and uh, we're not converting on third down as, as well as we should be. So that starts with me. Yeah, I mean, to some extent, it is, it, you know, it is on the play call because you're putting him in these play calls. And if your quarterback is not making the adjustments at the line, then you have to make those adjustments for him pre, you know, in the huddle, right? You you are on the headset. And if you are seeing something, you have to get him prepared for it. Um, you know, and, and, you know, maybe it's just, you know, you, you spent so long with Drew Brees that who was who could diagnose a defense at a superhuman level. And you yes. he did not need a coach to coach him in the in the course of a play right in the course of the play call getting the checks at the line blah 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 I think with Jameis and with a lot of other quarterbacks right we used to see Jared Goff go up to the line and have Sean McVay in his headset telling him exactly what to do to the point that in the Super Bowl the Patriots were able to shut them down by waiting until the headset turned off and changing their defense and forcing him to make the read at the line he wasn't able to do it right and so you know that's something that you have to figure out as an offense coordinator. Now you still should, you you have to expect the quarterback to be able to do a better job than he has been doing. And that's another question, but there Pete Carmichael has blame in this too. Like it it is not just a Jameis thing. No. And you know, you could also look at some of the issues with the offensive line. I I don't, I don't really blame uh, the receivers and it's hard to put anything on the tight ends, but to me, the O-line, the quarterback, and the offensive coordinator, I guess you could lump all in together. No question. You know, before Okay, so before we, we cut this off, we bring on uh, Damian Zutani from the Inside Purple and Gold podcast, also from the St. Paul Pioneer Press covering the Vikings. I want to get to some of the other potential absences the Saints are going to be facing this week. What have you seen from guys like Michael Thomas, Jarvis Landry? I know they signed Keith Kirkwood. He's on the practice squad, friend of the program. Spent some time with the Panthers, I think, the last couple of seasons. You know, what have you seen from some of those guys who are dealing with injuries? Yeah, I was really surprised, actually, there was Keith Kirkwood. I was convinced that it was going to be Lil Jordan Humphrey coming back because I'm pretty sure that the Patriots ended up letting him go. Uh, but with, uh, you talked about Jarvis Landry. We saw him back at practice. Still no sign of Michael Thomas. He's a guy that's missing uh, along the last two days, as well as quarterback Jameis Winston. and. Uh, I will say, too, another positive is the fact that Traquan Smith was limited Wednesday, still recovering from his concussion, but has apparently cleared the protocol and was a full go as well on Thursday. So it's not complete dire straits at the wide receiver position right now, but obviously with a guy like Michael Thomas not looking on track to play right now, missing two straight days with that foot injury uh, is not good. Uh, One thing I'll clean up. It couldn't have been Lil Jordan Humphrey because Lil Jordan Humphrey is on the Patriots roster. He got cut at the end of training camp, and then he got yeah. brought back on September. Ah, well, he got brought okay. back on the practice squad, then he got elevated. He's on the roster. He's played the last two games. He has one catch for 11 yards. So unavailable. I think if if he was a free agent, might have been the guy coming in because clearly they were just putting value on someone who knew the system because I think to some extent when you're bringing in a guy like that, the same way you saw with Latavius Murray, you want to make sure that they can be available that week if you need them. Another thing interesting going back to, sorry, back to the wide receiver group is, you know, we've seen uh, tight end Taysom Hill working with the quarterbacks. We also saw running back, not Kirk Merritt working with the wide receivers, but it was running back Alvin Kamara working with the wide receiver group. Another one that was left me and Todd Graffinini, who works with the, you know NewOrleansSaints.com scratching our heads going, what is going on here? It just seems like bizarro world at practice right now. Yeah, that is interesting. I, I wonder if it's just a bodies thing. Like, 
you just need people to run the run the routes, right? You know, but and, yeah, that, and Kamara's that not is still limited at practice with the rib injury as well. Maybe that's why he's not running with the backs. Seriously, maybe that's why. But interesting. So, okay, the other thing that we can talk about before we before we cut this segment off, it's Black Helmet Week. How have they looked? Have they looked sharp? Yeah, you know what? I wasn't a huge fan of them at first when they they brought them out in the locker room that one day, and I kind of. I don't have a problem with the way they really looked. I didn't like the way that I guess the decal or the sticker was with the Fleur de Lee on top of the helmet, but it's something that doesn't really distract you or uh, it's even hard to notice, I guess, from a distance. But to me that the black pants, black Jersey, black helmet look uh, is really fly. It looks good. Uh, it, you know, they kind of look a lot more menacing. I, I think I tweeted that, you know, they're almost like the Grim Reaper or like an executioner kind of look to them. Uh, the white jerseys with the the black helmets, uh, not too bad either. And like I said, to me at first, I had a problem with that Florida Lee decal on top of the helmet. And it does not distract or deter me as much as it did when I was looking at it up close. Definitely uh, looks a lot better from a distance. See, I, I'm still not a fan of it. It's not even about the Florida Lees. It's about the wide stripe. I don't like the wide stripe. Yeah. It's just it's just distracting, and it takes away from what would be a really clean look with just a black helmet. One thing to, to mention, so you, you mentioned it looks better with the black and the white, but they're going to be wearing the color rush jerseys. So it'll be the, the color rush jerseys with the black helmet, which I do think is a better look than it would be with kind of the white on white jerseys that they wear on the road a lot, because I think the color rush kind of dynamics has worked better with it. It's going to be the white jerseys, white pants with the black helmet? Color rush, yeah. Okay. The offense has been practicing in black pants, white jerseys, so that's odd. Do you think they're going to be able to adjust? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I have no idea with this team right now what they're going to be able to adjust to. (laughs) I think they'll they'll figure it out. I think they'll be able to, to overcome that hurdle. One thing is they added another date for the black helmets. They're going to be wearing them apparently week 13 against the Bucks on Monday Night Football. Could, the, could it be reverse color rush instead of being the all white? Would it be all black? But no, it's definitely the white white on white combo with the black helmet. Yeah, there's only one color rush combo. It would be cool if they had a different color rush combo. But yeah, uh, the, the London fans are in for a treat. Yeah, except they're going to get the zombie Vikings. Uh, as we're going to talk about with Dane Mizutani coming up. Well, let's get to it. And welcome back here on Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak, WWL Digital Sports Producer, alongside Steve Geller. And as we mentioned at the top of the show, we're bringing in special guest Dane Mizutani, co-host of the Inside Purple and Gold podcast. He also covers the Vikings for the St. Paul Pioneer Press. How you doing, Dane? Thanks for joining us. Doing good, guys. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. So I guess let's start with you know, as a as someone who follows the Vikings, mm-hmm. does it feel like the Vikings somewhere put a curse on the Saints so that every time they meet in big games, horrible things happen to New Orleans? Is that how it feels to you? Because that's how it feels to me. I think I think maybe that's that's that could be the case. Um, I think 2009 Vikings fans would probably take the they'd probably take the Super Bowl for, for the, the curse of a decade. Um, but yeah, it, it sure feels like that. It feels like in every excruciating way that the Saints can lose when they play the Vikings, uh, they do now. So uh, 
maybe you traded a Super Bowl uh, over in New Orleans for a decade plus of, of pain. That's true. Maybe the karma was 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 built by us and then and then <laughs> wrought upon us. Do you think that was pass interference by Kyle Rudolph in the playoffs? Yeah, hundred percent. Okay, good. <laughs> we, you're 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 allowed to stay. I might have kicked you off otherwise. You know, so so why don't you kind of just start like tell what is the identity of this Vikings team through three weeks? Because I've been having a hard time nailing it down, you know, because we all know Justin Jefferson really well. Obviously, he's from St. Rose, he's an LSU kid, you know, but the last two weeks have not been the Vikings team that we saw to start the season. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I'm kind of trying to figure that out as well. Like, who is this team? It's kind of been a roller coaster, not just this year, but like the past few years, um, the Vikings have seemed to just be on a constant roller coaster of good one week, bad the next week, good the next week, bad the next week. Like, that's kind of who they've, they've felt like they've been for, for two or three seasons now. And I thought maybe we'd get away from that with Kevin O'Connell taking over the team. Um, but no, they looked really good in week one against Green Bay, then really bad in week two against Philly, and then kind of so-so in week three against Detroit. So I'm having a hard time grasping on like what exactly is this team. I do know they want to be an offense that is predicated on the pass, mixing in the run, um, but getting their playmakers the ball in space. It's something they did really well against Green Bay, especially with Justin Jefferson. Um, he went off in week one. Um, but to your point, like week two and three, Justin Jefferson has been relatively invisible, which has been kind of a surprise to me. Um, I would expect them to work much, much harder to get him the ball this week against, against new Orleans, um, against the saints. I know Justin Jefferson draws a tough matchup against Marshawn Lattimore, but I would be stunned if, if Justin Jefferson once again, puts out a a three catch for 14 yard performance uh, like he did last week against Detroit. The Vikings have made it pretty clear um, without giving away their game plan um, that we're going to find a way to get Justin Jefferson the ball this week. You mentioned Kevin O'Connell and has he kind of brought like an, uh, obviously a new head coach brought like a new life to this team. Cause things were things getting stale with Mike Zimmer. It's just so curious because he's a guy definitely that's close friends with Sean Payton. So we always heard very highly about Zimmer and it just seemed like things really went stale there quickly. Yeah, I think it was pretty sour end to that that Zimmer regime. Um, a lot of highs in 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 his time as as the Vikings head coach, and and I think when you look back on it in the grand scheme of things, like he had a successful tenure with the Vikings. I don't think anyone, even the biggest Mike Zimmer haters, I don't think they could argue that. But by the end of it, it, it got old, it got stale, it got tired, um, it got a little toxic, and I think there was kind of a joylessness that that surrounded this team surrounded players especially but it even bled out into the fan base like this team was not fun to follow it was like fun to watch them kind of fail as as, as the as the Zimmer regime came to an end because there was such a joylessness each and every week so I think Kevin O'Connell's come in and, and he's kind of brought that joy back in the building uh, me and my co-host Jace Frederick we call it smiles per day like he's brought in more smiles per day it's like a stat that we're keeping track of. Um, but yeah, you, you sense it, you feel it. And um, I'm not sure it's going to equate to like this long magical playoff run that, that I think ownership envisions. I think they think they're close and they think a coaching change can, can just kind of set it over the, over the top or help them get over the hump. I think there's some, some actual issues with this team personnel wise, but I, I do think that they were on the right track about, there was a joylessness to the team, and 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 now there's some joy back in the building with, with Kevin O'Connell in charge. 
I almost feel like the Vikings and the Saints are very similar in the sense that they've been very successful for the most part, right? You'll see a down season, but over the last decade, you know, for the most part, you've seen a team that's been competitive, making the playoffs, but they never, like, I think the Saints were at a higher end of that, but you never felt like, okay, this is a team that's going to win the Super Bowl yet. Like, and I don't know if it's a Kirk Cousins thing. I've always kind of called Kirk Cousins like Mr. League average, where you know what you're going to get, but is it enough? Right. Like, and, and I think that the Saints, to an extent right now, would love Mr. League average because I think if you had a league average quarterback, you would be at least two and one, maybe three and oh, and you haven't been getting league average quarterback play this season. And that's what Kirk Cousins always gives you. But does he give you enough? And like, I guess my question is, as a, as a team that's kind of cycled through star receivers, right? It seems like you have the star receiver and then it's like, OK, Stefan Diggs, go find Buffalo and find your way and we'll bring in Justin Jefferson and we won't miss a beat. But can this team take that next step? Because I have the same question about the Saints, and I just don't know where, at what point do you kind of become a Super Bowl contender from just a good NFL team? Yeah, I, I'm not sure they can with, with this current group and this current um, personnel and set of players. I think there's building blocks on the team currently, obviously Justin Jefferson chief among them. But I think the idea of running it back and just thinking Mike Zimmer was the problem is a problem in and of itself. Like this team, I think as it's currently constructed is not good enough to win the Super Bowl. And I think we're going to see that continue to play out over the course of this season. I think they're good enough to make the playoffs. And I guess then if you make the playoffs, you can do the whole mental gymnastics of like, well, if we make the playoffs and we get a couple of good breaks, we can end up in the Super Bowl, kind of like Cincinnati did last year. So I get the idea of wanting to make the playoffs because no one thought the Bengals were going to go to the playoffs or go to the Super Bowl, even when they were in the playoffs. They almost lost to the Raiders in the first round in the wild card <laughs> last year. So I get the idea from ownership, from from the front office of, well, we're good enough to make the playoffs, so let's try and just do that and then figure it out later. But it, it just at no point, um, especially since Kirk Cousins has got to town, do you feel like, okay, this team can really make a run. Um, I think a large part of that is because his contract takes up a large part of their salary cap, and you can't really build around a team when your quarterback's making like 45% of your salary. You know, like they always say like the rookie quarterback deal is like the cheat code in the NFL because then you can kind of build your team out from that. Well, the Vikings are kind of trying to pinch pennies here because Kirk Cousins makes so much money. And I think you're seeing kind of deficiencies across the roster because of that. But yeah, no, to answer your question, I I don't think they can win a Super Bowl right now. as they are. I I disagree with that to an extent because it's not that you can't pay a quarterback $45 million and win. It's that you can't pay an average quarterback $45 million and win. And, and again, you can win with a league average quarterback, but not if you're paying like he's an elite quarterback because that hurts you at other positions. And I think that's what you're, you know, when you have to ship Stefan Diggs out of town, right? Like that sort of thing is where you lose, you lose that, that, that dynamic of like, yeah, okay. The Seahawks had Russell Wilson on a rookie contract and then they were able to build that defense. And that's how you win a Super Bowl. If you can't build that elite unit around the quarterback, it becomes very difficult to win. And I think that's what the Vikings have run into the last few years. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think like, you're right. Like Mr. League average should not be making 45% of your salary cap. Pay Patrick Mahomes, pay, you know, like all those guys, Aaron Rodgers, like he deserves the contract. Tom Brady, obviously maybe he's washed, but like you're going to pay Tom Brady, but like 
yeah, Kirk Cousins probably shouldn't be eating up that much of your books. Um, and if he is, it's why you have a team like the Vikings who who can't get over the hump. Now, is there any kind of reason why the myth, the legend around Monday night football, Kirk Cousins exists? And, and it's so true. That game against the Philadelphia Eagles, I couldn't believe, you know, with the amount of weapons on this team, how just inept the offense looked against them. Yeah, I don't know. I I, I always am like, okay, maybe we should like, kind of tune down this 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 narrative of primetime struggles and then like he just goes out and lays an egg like he did on monday night so it's right, just only three picks of the season happened in that game exactly and and just looking not only like uncomfortable but just like unwilling to take chances downfield like it's just, it's a thing you've seen with kirk in the past is like when when the pressure comes at him especially when pressure comes up the middle he he doesn't respond well to it um he, he goes into a shell he curls up and and and, and goes home the lights get get brighter on on in prime time. The, the the opponent is generally better in prime time, so maybe that's that that has something to do with it too. But yeah, it's kind of an inexplicable phenomenon that exists with with Kirk Cousins and, and his struggle in prime time. Maybe right. he just has an early bedtime and he's not good at staying up late. Have we ever considered that? <laughs> maybe so. Maybe so. Everyone jokes that he's so good at the noon games. So yeah, like right. you know, maybe he just uh he's kind of a boring guy. So maybe he just likes to get to bed early. Yeah. Yeah, that 8 p.m. bedtime conflicts with his, uh, you know, the kickoff of uh, Monday Night Football. I do appreciate that you have already adopted my Mr. League Average nickname. That That's that's the sign of a great podcast guest, is is accepting my terms and going with them. <laughs> um, but so let's, you know, let's shift to the other side of the ball because, you know, I think the Saints defense versus the Vikings offense is going to be an interesting matchup, but it's one that, you know, we expect. I have no idea what to expect out of the Vikings defense. And so how... How has that group looked? You know, what what are kind of the um, elements of that defense that are tough to play against if you are the opposing offense? I think theoretically their pass rush is is what they were going to try and pride themselves on this season. Um, they had zero sacks against the Lions, so the pass rush hasn't been that good. Um, I will say the Lions, deep, like the Lions as a whole, are probably a punching bag around the league for good reason. But their offensive line is is very very good, so I, I think that could explain why why the Vikings didn't really get home. They were close a couple of times. Um, I think this week, if everything goes right for the Vikings, they'll get after Jameis Winston or Andy Dalton, whoever plays quarterback for the Saints, and and make them uncomfortable. The Saints, whoever is that quarterback are going to be able to throw the ball on the Vikings. The secondary is weak. They play this shell coverage under new defensive coordinator at Donatel, kind of just give up like eight yards of play and just say like, do this the whole game. You're going to make a mistake. Um, it's why Jalen Hurts carved them up in the first half on Monday Night Football. It's why Jared Goff looked like a superstar, you know, looked like the guy who got the Rams to the Super Bowl, you know, once upon a time last week you know as as the quarterback of, of the lions it's because the, the vikings are going to let you throw i don't know if michael thomas is going to play for the saints but if he does like he will eat in that intermediate in that inter- intermediate area on the field because the vikings are just going to give it to them um so i think a lot of the defense you know they, they've, they've constructed this scheme with the thought of we're going to bend don't break and our pass rush is going to be able to get home enough that you know, even though we're giving up these chunk plays, it's not something that's going to hurt us in the long run. The pass rush hasn't been good enough so far. So I'm interested to kind of see this week, you know, how it looks. Um, but if you're a Saints fan, like ex- expect uh, to be able to throw on the Vikings. And if you can't, I think that's kind of an issue. I was going to say uh, Saints fans will definitely, well, Louisiana fans will be interested to see a uh, LSU favorite in the backfield there and Patrick Peterson 
but has he basically, I don't want to say lost a step, but it's, it's, it's father time uh, caught up to him. I think so a little bit. And and that's fair. And that's, that's no knock on, on, on Patrick Peterson. He's sure. obviously like a super prideful guy. I think he said he wants to play four more years in, in the NFL. Cause he really likes that 16 year. I don't know if he has four more years in him. He certainly doesn't have four more years in him as the, as a number one cornerback. And, and he's been put in a hard, you know, a tough position this year with, with, with the Vikings where they didn't go out and address the, the secondary in the off season very much. They didn't address cornerback. Um, they did in the draft, but the guy they drafted can't stay healthy. They forced Patrick Peterson into a role where he has to be the number one cornerback on this team. He's not going to say no to that because that's who Patrick Peterson is. He, he wouldn't say no to that. But I, yeah, I think there's a reason. The reason the Vikings sit back and shell is because they don't really trust their corners. And I think Patrick Peterson's part of that. So there is another LSU player on the Vikings. And, and I always find this funny because he's the player that no one ever remembers even went to LSU is Daniil Hunter. Because yeah. he was not anything special at LSU. He had right. four and a half sacks his entire LSU career, but he's become like this perennially good pass rusher mm-hmm. who just beat up the Saints. And I don't really even have a point that I'm making. I just think it's really interesting because it's like, okay, let's talk about Patrick Peters. Let's talk about Justin Jefferson. And like, oh yeah, that guy. I forgot about that guy. Yeah, he's uh the Vikings are are happy to have him. Um, but I think it's it's funny with the new hunter, like because that pick worked out so well, like, mm-hmm. you know, he had the measurables and, you know, he he was a freak, you know, with all the testing scores and stuff. The Vikings have been trying to find a player like that ever since. Mm-hmm. And like, they don't exist. Like Daniel Hunter's just like, <laughs> just because a guy has good measurables and had four sacks in college, like, doesn't mean you're going to just be able to take that guy and, and mold them into an elite pass rusher like you did Daniel Hunter. The Vikings have been searching and trying to find a guy like that ever since. They, they whiffed on a lot of draft picks because of it. So while they'd rather have Daniel Hunter, I think it might have like kind of hurt their ability to draft intelligently because they just think like, oh, that guy wasn't that productive in college, but he's fast. Like, right. or he, you know, he's, he's twitchy. Like we could turn him into a good pass rusher. And in general, you can't. So but super good player. Um, he's he's healthy back on the field. I think he's working his way slowly back into form after basically missing the last two seasons. But yeah, if he has his way, like I think he could be someone who who really stands out this weekend. For perspective, he's 6'5", 250 pounds. He ran a four five seven in the yeah. forty. Yeah, he's a freak. that's that's scary. But yeah, I mean, if you're not productive in college, there's usually a reason. <laughs> and uh, yeah, this that was one of the rare the rare instances. He's a guy who you always forget about, and then he's just in your face. I think he's the one who had the sack on Breeze in that playoff yep. game that forced that fumble when it yep. looked like the Saints were going in to score yep. and put that game away. And so, yeah, he's a, he's a guy Saints fans will remember. Maybe more than LSU fans, to be honest. Probably, yeah. I mean, he, he he's kind of had his way, um, not just with the Saints, with everyone. Um, injuries are really the only thing that have derailed his career at this point. Another local guy that, uh, not an LSU player, but uh, went to high school in Louisiana, then ended up going to Alabama, tight end Irv Smith Jr. Oh, yeah. uh, definitely another key impact piece uh, to this offense that I think, uh, like you mentioned with Daniil Hunter, Jeff, a guy that kind of gets overlooked, but I, I know he was dealing with some injuries too, but is healthy now, right? Yeah, he's healthy. Um, he's dealt with some drops here early in the season. Okay. With um, someone who in theory should be like a matchup nightmare for opposing teams because he's so fast like you can't he's fast and he's big so like he's too fast for a linebacker he's too big for a safety 
and he's getting open he's just dropping the ball so we'll see um vikings fans aren't too happy with him right now yeah irv smith he went to brother mara and his dad played for the saints so yep. you know there's, there's a lot of connections there but okay that's where we cut that segment off we're gonna come back we're gonna get some x factors you know players that are on the vikings that saints fans might not know about and they will by the end of the game stick around on inside black Welcome back into segment number three of Inside Black and Gold. With us is Dane Mitsutani from Inside Purple and Gold. Uh, we're, we're basically a brother podcast here, uh, dueling on the field in week four and, you know, hooking up here on the Odyssey podcast app, getting you ready for the matchup in London. I was really surprised. A lot of it was made, made about the Saints arriving here in London on Monday, but this Vikings team decided that they would wait and just arrived on Thursday figuring uh, they've got this acclimation thing down. And I know the first day I got here, I ended up sleeping 10 hours. I feel like I caught up, though. It wasn't that huge of a deal. Maybe the the time difference gets blown a little bit out of a proportion. But uh, what was really the the thinking or talk behind uh, Minnesota deciding to go later in the week? Yeah, basically, so we talked to their director of player health and performance it's a weird okay. title his name is tyler williams we talked to him on wednesday he basically described it like the vikings are trying to operate on central time the whole week when they fly to london when they're in london when they're playing the game and then operate in central time back they never want to acclimate to london time basically okay. so the goal is like not to ever fully acclimate to london time because then you have to reacclimate to central time and that could screw up your week five preparation. So they're really just trying to like thread a needle here. And I don't know if it's going to work, um, but there was like a, a lot of thought that went into this. And like, it wasn't just some like cockamamie idea. They just like came up with on the fly, like listening to them talk about this decision. Like I, I felt skeptical, but going into the conversation, but like, I kind of believe that, like, at least it was rooted in some sort of sports science. My only issue is, like, if you're operating on central time, it's like 830 in the morning when you play on Sunday. So, like, yeah, exactly. right. Right. So, yeah, that's my question is, like, so you just never reset your watch, right? And so you go to bed at the same time you would if it was here. So you're going to bed at local time would be, so you go to bed at 10 o'clock locally, you're going to bed at 6 a.m. I don't totally get it. I think there's some flaws to just saying like <laughs> you're going to operate fully on central. I, I think, yeah. yeah, I think more so they're just saying like their body's going to really be able to adapt quickly, like to like that two and a half day stretch that they're there. They don't even leave till actually Thursday night. So they get in Friday morning and okay. their goal is basically just to like, honestly, like he talked a lot about melatonin. Like, I think they're just going to gobble up a bunch of melatonin on the plane, try and sleep through and be like, all right, it's morning. Let's roll. Like melatonin and caffeine are like what they are literally operating on with the Vikings this week. So if the Vikings look like zombies on the field, we will know why, because they're trying to wake up at eight. Because that's the thing. If it was a if it was a night kickoff in London and the game was a noon start, sure, I right. think you could sell this to me a little better than it's an 8.30 a.m. start central time. So that's a weird, like if that was a game here, I would be like, 
that's a bad idea. Like teams don't adjust like that. So that's, that's strange to me. I didn't realize that's what they were doing. As we record this podcast, it's Thursday afternoon. So they haven't left yet. No, I think their wheels up at 7 p.m. Thursday. And I think wow. they arrive in London at like, I think probably like 6 a.m., 7 a.m. with like the flight and the time change. I don't know. It might work. It might not. They, there's a chance they have egg on their face on Sunday when they just look really, really sluggish. But I think the the, the thought was like, let's not hurt our week four prep and our week five prep. Let's just try and deal with this this weird time change now and, and then try and get right back our clocks, uh, you know, into central time as, as they prepare for the week five. Right. It almost sounds like they're they're planning ahead for week five. Like I, this is a weird analogy. When I was running cross country in high school, there was this one school that we were like, we're not going to beat that team. They are insanely good and we're bad. So we're going to train through this meet. We're not going to get a rest day going into it because we're going to lose anyway. So we just train through it and we're like, we're going to worry about Montville because they suck and we might beat them. Is that like what we're talking about here? Cause I don't think they're giving up this game, but it kind of feels like it's like, we're not going to sacrifice two weeks for, you know, maybe an extra chance to win this week. Yeah, I think their goal is like to sacrifice neither week, but it yeah. does seem like inherently they're they're by their decision making potentially sacrificing this week. I would argue like they play the Bears in week five. Like you yeah. should have just gone to London. And if you were a little tired for week five, you probably still beat the Bears. So like, um, but yeah, I don't know. Like it's it's something that's definitely going to be talked about on Sunday. Yeah, if sure. it works, they're going to be geniuses. If it doesn't and they lose, they're going to be like, well, of course they did. How did they think they were going to adapt to this time change so quickly? I also think it's funny, like me and my co-host, Jace Frederick, on, on our podcast just talked about this today. Like normal people just go on vacation and they figure it out. Like, yeah. you know, these are, tip, these, these are athletes in like tip top shape. Like maybe we'll give them some credit. They, they could probably acclimate in a day and, and play a football game. Um, but we'll see. Like it, they definitely leave themselves a lot of room for criticism. If this decision ultimately does not work out. What's interesting too, is they don't even get a break from the media tomorrow. It's like, bam, I guess they're landing and they do have access here, practice and, and media access tomorrow. So we'll see if that melatonin's hit the the coaches and the players in the in their press conferences. A lot of caffeine, a lot of cups of coffee. I think that we'll we'll, we'll keep them going. Get some Jolt Cola. Even I don't know if they even make that anymore. Some surge, yeah. <laughs> some four loco. Um, okay, moving on. Uh, I do want to get into you know as we teased heading into this segment. I want to hear from you know whether you call it an X factor or whether you know you look at it as okay. There are players on this Vikings roster that. As a Saints fan watching this game, you will not know about mm-hmm. until the end of the game, and they're going to be someone who you leave knowing that person's name because they made an impact. Who would those players be? Both, you know, maybe one on offense, one on defense. Sure, the guy on offense that that comes to mind, and he's probably not like super under the radar because he caught like the game winning touchdown pass last week for the Vikings. He's he's had a couple of big catches over the course of his career, but he's not Justin Jefferson and he's not Adam Thielen. So I think yeah. those are the two guys that that you think, okay, that's who the Vikings dominate with as 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 pass catching options. KJ Osborne, he mm-hmm. he's a third year receiver and he's really, really good. Um he he's technically the number three receiver on this team. I think he's good enough to ascend to the number two at some point. Um as Adam Thielen kind of phases out, I think they can kind of flip flop and KJ Osborne can be the number two and Adam Thielen can kind of sail off into the sunset as the Minnesota hometown kid as like your number three slot receiver. Um, I think that 
flip-flop could occur down the road because KJ Osborne's so good. Um, Justin Jefferson said it today. Like we were talking to him about the double coverages that he's that he's faced this year, the triple coverages sometimes, what he's expecting against New Orleans and and whatnot. And he basically said, look, look, KJ Osborne's really good. And while I don't want to be a decoy this whole season, like Justin Jefferson definitely does not want to be a decoy this season. Um, he's okay if, if if him getting double covered and triple covered sometimes lets KJ Osborne just eat one on one. KJ Osborne as a number three receiver is a lot is more often than not going to be a lot better than the number three cornerback on on the opposing team. So he's someone I think, while you might not know a ton about him because he's not a household name, he could have a major impact this weekend. And um, on the defensive side, like the defense is not that good, so <laughs> there's not like a ton of X factors. I think Jordan Hicks is someone like, like Eric Hendricks is the linebacker that I think everyone thinks of when, when they think about the Vikings, Jordan Hicks came in this year as, as a free agent um, signing and, and he's playing in this new three, four front. He's been really good. Um, he, he's good sideline to sideline. He's good in coverage. Um, he has a lot of tackles this year. I think that's not necessarily a good thing because it means like the Vikings aren't getting a ton of push up front. He's having to make these tackles at the second level. Um, but he pops and in, in, in the way he plays the, you know, the game, um, he's someone who's just going to stand out. You're going to look at that play and be like, oh, oh, number, you know, 58's and on the tackle again. Like that's Jordan Hicks. Like I think he's someone who might not make a dynamic impact in like he's going to wreck the game for the Saints, like from a Vikings perspective. Um, but you're going to notice him because he's always around the ball. I can't believe we've gotten into this so far with you, and we have yet to discuss running back Dalvin Cook. Yes. Uh, I know he's yeah. dealing with a separated shoulder but was a full go for Thursday's practice, right? Yeah, surprisingly. I I, yeah. I honestly didn't think he was going to play this week. And uh, I know the he, other day he was like, I'm day-to-day. That's the end of the story. Yeah, <laughs> he was like, we're not we're not talking about this until Sunday. <laughs> it's like, okay, well, I'm not going to London, so I'm going to ask you about it now. <laughs> um, but he practiced in full today. I don't necessarily think that's a guarantee that he plays on Sunday. But certainly a good sign. I would say if he didn't practice today, um, I would say there's no chance he plays on Sunday. So I think it's more likely than not that he plays on Sunday at this point because he was a full participant, not even a limited participant in practice on Thursday. Um, but I don't think it's like a guarantee, you know, take it to the bank. Dalvin Cook's going to be the starting running back for the Vikings. I think there's a chance that, you know, the Vikings still want to be cautious with this this dislocated shoulder. And it's something you can re-injure if, if you don't, treat it properly or, or takes take the injury seriously it's something he's dealt with in the past it's only week four like do you really want to push it this hard when when you have 12 13 weeks to go um it's kind of like what i like what the baltimore ravens did with jk dobbins like he was practicing and he was ready but he didn't play because like they were like we're gonna keep it you know kind of under wraps and, and, and make sure this thing heals up i think the vikings could potentially do that with with cook i know dalvin cooks wants to play but this coaching staff is kind of has its eye towards the long view. If I had to guess, I would say he plays just because he practiced. Um, but but I'm not sold 100. percent Yeah, it's almost like if no. you have a guy who's injured, like their back is broken, maybe you should mm. give him time to rest rather than keep yeah. running him out there. I don't know, it's just a theory, but it sounds like one that makes sense. Spinal. <laughs> yeah, I broke my back. <laughs> You're good. Now the Vikings, some dirt the, on Vi- it. the Vikings don't have like the Saints. The week after London, they're not on a bye week either. And were you surprised by that one? Because to me, I can't believe like the Saints bye week is so late in the season. It doesn't come to what is it, Jeff? Week, week 13? 
And then I think you, you guys have two or three games before you finally get a bye after the Saints. But it, it's just wild to me. I thought that would be even NFL mandated for the safety of the mm-hmm. players. After coming home from London, you'd get the week off. Yeah, I, I thought that was interesting. We actually talked to O'Connell about this in the offseason. Like, I don't know how much say teams have in like when the bye week comes, when the schedules are made. But like, the, I think the Vikings were were very like upfront. Like, we don't want the bye out of London yeah. too early. I like, believe the Saints were the same I way can, too. Yeah, we, we talked to Mickey Loomis, and basically, if you want a bye week, you can have it. They're not going to say, "Well, when do you want your bye week?" But in instances where you have to travel to London, they'll be like, do you want to buy in week five? And if so, they'll give it to you. If not, then they'll give it to you wherever you get it. And the Mm -hmm. reason the Saints said no was a week five buy is almost more damaging than losing in week five, in my opinion. (laughs) Because by the time you get to week 14, when you desperately need a week off, even if it cost me a matchup early in the season, I would rather be able to lick my wounds at the end of the season as you're trying to get into the playoffs. But that's So I can understand why. The Saints could be resting Jameis Winston right now. Probably should be resting Jameis Winston <laughs> right now, either way. <laughs> so many people agree on that. Other, if you, As long as you're not coaching the Saints, it seems to be. Right, right. The, uh, anyway. the back give fractures. It. That's crazy. <laughs> right. And, a, and, a, and an ankle issue. Um, and uh, yeah, and then anyway. yesterday he mentioned a hip out of nowhere. <laughs> yes. Just a lot of pain. A lot of pain yeah, everywhere. Just, just, yeah, it's just, just pain everywhere. <laughs> But um, no, I, I did think so. Steve actually does know about Jordan Hicks because Steve follows the Eagles pretty closely. And another player, another former Eagle that I find really interesting is Jalen Rager, who <laughs> it really just felt like a troll job. I don't even know if the Vikings actually wanted Jalen Rager more than they wanted to just twist the knife at Howie Roseman because it's like, so you didn't pick this guy, and then we're going to take the guy you picked instead of him and Justin Jefferson. Uh, is he even, what is his role in this offense? Cause it just seems odd to me. He's like a guy that they are force feeding the ball for like reasons that I don't quite understand. Like, and the return yeah, too, right? Yeah. Like he's getting, like, they're, they're drawing up end arounds for him. Like they're giving him the ball in like jet motion. And like, he's not like a prominent part of the offense, but he's a bigger part of the offense than like I expected him to be. And like super nice guy. Like when we came, when he, when he got signed, like obviously everyone was like, asking him about being picked one pick before Justin Jefferson. He must've done the same interview like nine different times and was always a really good sport about it. But like, there's pretty much proof at this point that he's not that good. So like, I don't know why the Vikings keep like forcing this, you know, square peg into a round hole of like, we're going to get Jalen Rager touches. Um, Just give those touches to Justin Jefferson. He's getting triple covered. If you want to give someone a jet motion or like an end around, like give the ball to Jefferson. Like, I don't know why Jalen Rieger is, is the guy that that they're trying to force feed right now um, in certain scenarios. He's the punt returner. Like that's what he's good at. Um, And, and Eagles fans would, would obviously say he's not even really that good at that. Um, (laughs) He is the Vikings starting punt returner. It's an upgrade over who the Vikings had in, in, in training camp, which is like a bunch of guys that like, could not catch a punt. Um, I know Jalen Rieger sometimes struggles with that too, but uh, yeah, his role in the offense is is higher than it probably should be, but still pretty low. It felt like the Eagles were just like, this is like the lone reminder of like the mess up. So we need to get rid of them so we can ascend to like the best team in the NFL. I I don't know. It it was just just the funniest trade to me because I love when, when like player movement is also like combined with just trolling. Because um, that's really what it felt like. Who knows, though? This could be the Jalen Rieger game. We just saw the LaVisca Chenault game with the Panthers last week, which was unbelievable. You had to bring up LaVisca Chenault. Oh, my Lord. I could not believe that play. It still bothers me. 
I don't think you have to worry about that with Rieger. <laughs> Again, we're talking to Dane Mizutani, host of the Inside Purple and Gold podcast, also covers the Vikings for the St. Paul Pioneer Press. And before I let you go, you don't sound very convinced about this Vikings team, I have to admit. So if you you know, if you were handicapping this game, you know, what would your projection, what would your prediction be? Is this a game where the, the Vikings regret trying to sleepwalk through it? Or, you know, how do you expect it to go? It's funny you bring that up because we, we me and uh, my co-host Jace just did a, we recorded our Inside Purple and Gold podcast this morning. And I spent 45 minutes just being like, the Vikings are terrible. Like they, they're not. <laughs> and then I picked them to win. And, and he's like, why do you do that every week? And like, I'm going to pick them to win. I think they win 24-21. I think it's close. Um, I think that these teams are very, very similar right now. In, in, in how they're constructed and probably their expectations as a whole for this season. I First think at the coach, end of the yeah. day, yeah, like I think at the end of the day, though, like injuries on, on the Saints side probably add up a little more than, than injuries on the Vikings side. I think they're going a little more healthy, even healthier than I thought this morning when, when I didn't think Dalvin Cook was going to play. So Dalvin Cook practiced today. He's going to play. Jefferson's on the field. Kirk Cousins, their, their starting quarterback, doesn't have a broken back. I think all of that, you know, equates to a Vikings win. I don't feel like this team can win a Super Bowl, but I think they can win this week in London. No fear of the red rifle. <laughs> Fun fact about Andy Dalton. Last time he played in London, finished dun, dun, in a tie. Dun. They played Washington. Quarterback for Washington in that game? Kirk Cousins, Captain Kirk, Mr. League Average, leading the artist formerly known as the Redskins to a tie. So if it doesn't get more league average than that. So that's that's what I'm that's that's how I'm gonna I'm gonna cap that off. Mr. League Average, I'm gonna I'll be sure to bring that onto the inside purple and gold podcast moving forward. I need t-shirts, baby. Yes, yes. I need I need that to be more uh, more well known because it's true. So let's wrap it up there. Thanks so much, Dane Mizutani. Go behind enemy lines and listen to him crash the Vikings and then pick them to win over on inside purple and gold as he told you he did you know because it could be cathartic if nothing else after the game (laughs) but thanks so much for joining us I'm Jeff Nowak alongside Steve Geller here on inside black and gold make sure to hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcast leave a rating leave a review thanks so much for listening as always and who the